Hi, I'm Paul Jay. Welcome to TheAnalysis.News. Please don't forget the donate button, subscribe button, all the buttons. I'll be back in a second with Bob Poland. The Biden administration is trying to pass its $2.2 trillion infrastructure plan, although it's been reported Biden is willing to cut that plan by 25% to make a deal with Republicans who warn of a new round of inflation. Some liberal economists, notably former Clinton and Obama advisor Larry Summers, are also raising the alarm that trillions of dollars of government spending will be inflationary. The inflationary cautions also being raised by well-known economic columnist Martin Wolf, writing in the Financial Times in March. Quote, the likelihood then is that there's going to be a huge expansion in spending and little in the way of additional taxation. Given the monetary expansions too, the chances of an inflationary overshoot have substantially increased. If this happens in the U.S., worldwide spillovers are quite likely, not least in the U.K., but in other high-income countries, too, household savings are high, fiscal deficits large, and monetary policy expansionary. The kindling needed to light an inflationary fire can be seen almost everywhere. Further down, Wolf writes, above all, an inflationary overshoot will trigger a disinflationary response from central banks. That will mean much higher policy rates. That could lead to waves of default far more pervasive than in the early 1980s, when the big story was the debt crisis in developing countries. This time, the debt crisis could be almost everywhere because there's so much more debt. Wolf concludes with, Inflation has not come back. It may never do so. But the political and policy shifts we are seeing today after COVID, together with long-term changes in the world economy have raised the chances of an inflationary shock of some kind. Investors must take this possibility into account. Now joining us to discuss whether the inflation fears are justified is Bob Poland. He's co-founder of Perry, the Political Economy Research Institute in Amherst, Massachusetts, and author of the book he co-authored with Noam Chomsky titled Climate Crisis and the Global Green New Deal, The Political Economy, saving the planet. Thanks very much for joining us again, Bob. Thanks very much for having me on, Paul. So be, before we get into what Wolf and some other people are saying, um, you know, I've done a, a couple of stories on this issue of is inflation really coming back and so on. And uh, some people are writing in saying maybe the overall inflation rate hasn't gone up. But when I look at my cost of living, it's gone up. Um, so talk a bit about the relationship of the cost that ordinary people feel and this overall still relatively low level of inflation. Well, the thing that's clearly gone up dramatically are oil prices. Some people experience that day to day. And of course, the price of, of oil, petroleum, is, in every, you know, you drive in the street and you see it posted. And so, you know, Four months ago, roughly speaking, it was $2 a gallon, and now it's roughly three or more, uh, depending on your community. So that's definitely gone up, and that's what people are seeing, and I think they're incorporating that. But if you look at the overall, as you just said, overall uh, consumer price index, include which includes oil, but includes everything else, it, it has gone up, but it's gone up very modestly. Uh, whether it's going to continue to go up, 
uh, remains to be seen. And it's possible that it could go up sharply. The main thing pulling up overall inflation in the 1970s, referring to the experience that Wolf, Martin Wolf was talking about, was oil prices. I don't think oil prices are going to go up like they went up in the 1970s. Uh, they're going to go up from where they were. I mean, I, I, in April 2020, oil prices were actually negative. You couldn't give oil away. Uh, there was an oversupply. So, yes, of course it's gone up. It's, it's still, oil prices in general are still at a level lower than uh, where they were before the uh, COVID recession. Uh, but uh, yes, they've gone up. They're not going to stay at a negative level. And uh, not surprisingly, oil prices have gone up. Uh, for some reason, the price of used cars went up by, I, I saw a number of like 10% for some reason. Um, and then the other thing people are saying is going to kick in over the next while is higher rents. And people are starting to feel that because there's been such a spike in housing prices. Well, uh, yes. I mean, rents are going to go up I, because uh, what's happened in the housing market over the last year is people weren't paying their rent. And, uh, and the, now that we're moving out of the recession, then, of course, the landlords want to get paid back. So you're going to start to see uh, some increases. On the other hand, over the long term, uh, because of the glut in office space, and we're going to see a shakeout as to the extent to which offices are going to uh, reopen. And you're most likely going to see conversion of at least some share of the office housing stock into uh, the office stock into housing stock. And that'll dampen any inflationary forces uh, within the housing market. So overall, I mean, other than oil prices, I don't think that there's any reason to expect some immediate uh, sharp jolt in overall inflation. So then the, the, the real question is whether uh, whether it's two or three trillion dollars or, you know, if all the plans that Biden's talked about come to fruition, and I don't know how likely that is because it does seem like he's going to have to negotiate with the Republicans on a lot of it. Uh, but it might be two, three trillion dollars. Will that be inflationary or not? Well, what what that what the uh, if this if the uh, we've already passed his, his so-called rescue plan. So that was one point nine trillion. And that has uh, created a floor for the economy so that we aren't collapsing anymore. You could call that inflationary. You could also call it a recovery. Uh, that's positive. I mean, the other point, and maybe we can get to it more in a minute, uh, we have to ask the question, is inflation always bad? To what extent, at what point is inflation benign and at what point is it a negative factor? I mean, if you're running an economy, you know, in a, in a severe downturn and you have falling prices, uh, that's deflationary. We've eliminated inflation, but that's not positive. Uh, so if an economy is recovering and we start to see prices rising, um, you know, to a relatively modest extent, that's not problematic at all. Now, if the uh, Biden, uh, the rescue plan passed, now we have the so-called jobs plan, which is an infrastructure plan, and the so-called family plan, which is the care economy. Those the 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 dollar amounts of those are four trillion overall. They're 
probably not going to pass in full. And keep in mind that those are spread out over eight years. So the level of overall spending of those programs is you know, in the range of 1% of GDP per year. The rescue plan was $2 trillion this year. So that was a much bigger kick. The other ones are not going to be that large so that whatever forces they're going to exert in terms of moving the economy upward, it's likely to be pretty modest. Um, Biden is calling it a jobs plan. It's really the infrastructure plan. But keep in mind, it's also true that if an economy is recovering, there's more jobs and workers should get more bargaining power. That's a positive. Well, if that means wages are going up, well, there could be some inflationary pressures, you know, 1%, 2%. But that's good. That means that workers are getting higher pay. Uh, so we have to sort out, you know, overall inflation is not necessarily bad. It's a lot better, you know, relatively modest inflation is a lot better than severe deflation. Now, you hear amongst some workers uh, this idea of what's the point of higher wages if you just lose it to higher prices? Uh, th does it always work out that way? Well, I mean, the, the general relationship that's critical here is the relationship between wages and uh, productivity growth. Uh, so if uh, the amount you're able to produce is also going up, let's say your wages go up by 3%, and let's say the amount you're able to produce goes up by 3%, that means the pie is bigger, your wages, there's more wages, and actually then there's still the same share of the pie that's going to go to the capitalists to the bosses. Um, when you may get some inflationary pressures is if the wage is going up faster than productivity. So you have a pie that isn't growing as fast as the worker's share. Now, we could also say that's a positive because we've had 40 years of wage stagnation and we've had massive redistribution of income up to the rich. So that having workers get a relatively bigger share of the overall pie is a positive. Now, businesses will try to uh, protect themselves in that situation by raising prices. That's where you get the inflation. But if workers' wages are rising faster than the inflation, then the real wage, how much you're able to bring home, how much you're able to buy, is also going up. Well, so that sort of the critical issue is the uh, relative strength of labor to capital. Uh, and uh, labor unionization has been going down, uh, the effects of obviously cheap labor from China and so on. Uh, do you see some change in that? I mean, is there anything, any signs that the relative strength of organizing and labor uh, might get stronger in, in coming days? Well, I certainly hope so. I mean, let's yeah, again, we've been through 40 years neoliberalism in which workers have gotten clobbered. In general. I mean, the average wage for a non-supervisory worker has not gone up in 40 years. I think that's a fundamental thing that we have to keep in mind. And it's been recognized in kind of these very neutral terms. I mean, way back in the 1990s, you had Alan Greenspan, who was chair of the Fed, saying, oh, why don't we have any inflation? We have low unemployment, but why don't we have any inflation? And he himself said, well, because workers are traumatized. That was his own term. 
I myself wrote some papers based on the traumatized worker effect. Janet Yellen, who was vice chair of the Fed, or a member of the Fed in the 1990s, also recognized the same effect. And she said, workers are afraid to bargain up wages, even at low unemployment, uh, because they're afraid, as you said, uh, competition from China, other low wage countries, weak uh, unions, and so forth. So this is well understood and has been for decades. So that uh, if we want to say we, we absolutely don't want any inflation, well, okay, then here's two things that, that you can ensure yourself you'll never get inflation. Workers never get raises and we have uh, a, a re recession and we will have deflation. And so uh, obviously that's not what we want. So inflation in the range of, you know, two, three, four percent is generally speaking going to be positive for the working class. It's going to recognize their increased bargaining strength and lower unemployment. The only other major source of inflation historically in the U.S. and elsewhere has been oil price jolts, shocks. Uh, and we have had that again over the last six months relative, like I said, a year ago, you had to pay people to take the oil. So, of course, the oil prices have gone up. Um, if we, The main thing is if we can control uh, energy prices, and that gets us onto issues around Green New Deal and substituting out uh, fossil fuels, uh, we can control energy prices, then we are not likely to have very sharp inflationary impact. Yeah, in fact, most of the inf more inflationary impact came from fossil fuel than wages because wages barely moved. Is that right? No, no. Whatever increase and if, uh, the overall consumer basket, the so-called consumer price index, that has gone up and it's gone up modestly, but it has gone up, has been pulled up almost entirely by oil prices. And, oil and now prices, with the pandemic, it's a lot of supply chain stuff, too, which in theory is temporary. Yeah. So, I mean, again, you know, what happened during the pandemic is, you know, the oil producers stopped producing because they couldn't sell any oil. Now they're coming back and you had the one um, pipeline uh, that was hacked. So you have this short term supply shortages just as, you know, the, the economy is coming back. You know, so airlines, for example, that couldn't sell tickets. Uh, now they're filling up the the uh, flights again. And so they have to buy oil. Uh, that's what's happening. So you, it's pushing up the price. It's still, I just checked right before our interview, it's still lower than it was before the pandemic, oil prices. Uh, let's talk a bit, uh, just revisit some of the conversation we had last time about this jobs plan, which is also supposed to be uh, a, a fossil fuel slash climate plan. Um, when we talked last time, when we saw the number of buildings that were being planned to be retrofitted, which was, I think, a target of two million seemed extraordinarily low if, if they're serious about all this. So it's been a few weeks since we talked about this. Do you get a better sense of what Biden's planning and is, is, there, is there more teeth in the climate plan than, than we felt there was at the last time we talked? Uh, I don't know. I mean, the, uh, I'm pretty, I'm fairly closely in touch with various groups in, in D.C. that are working on the progressive side and trying to push the so-called Thrive Agenda, which was introduced 
by uh, Senator Markey and Representative Dingell, which is the competitor to the uh, Biden plan. Uh, the, Thrive, the Thrive agenda is basically structured along the same lines as Biden, but its spending is three times higher. Uh, it's a trillion dollars over 10 years, as opposed to 300 billion. It's a trillion per year over 10 years, so it's 10 trillion as opposed to the Biden proposal. And, um, I, you know, who knows where it's going to all land? Uh, I guess what's critical, you know, when Biden cut back the, the, his proposal from 2.3 trillion to 1.7 over the last few days, uh, that was apparently an effort to bring along Senator Manchin, the West Virginia Democrat who is trying, who's claiming that we have to get Republicans. The Republicans come back with, with 600 billion. So, they're coming back with a third of what Biden is proposing. Um, so, I mean, I, you know, I'm certainly not an expert on, you know, the Washington uh, poker game, but uh, my guess is that Biden has made this proposal to the Republicans to, to prove to Senator Manchin that there's no way you can make a deal with Republicans that's going to have any serious positive impact. So who knows where it's going to end up? I mean, I myself, wrote a study for West Virginia on a Green New Deal for West Virginia, demonstrated, and I presented it to the, the Manchin staff, showed how actually, you know, a very generous Green New Deal will benefit West Virginia almost, you know, more than any other state, uh, especially because Senator Manchin's going to be able to bargain it up for his own state. So we're, you know, we're looking at a program that could generate about 40,000 jobs in the state and, and create a new industry or a new infrastructure for generations to come, as opposed to clinging to a, a dying industry coal. So who knows where it's going to end up? I mean, I, the, the, the uh, Markey Dingle, the so-called Thrive Agenda, has over 100 members of Congress having endorsed it, including, including Chuck Schumer, the majority leader, the Senate, Senate majority leader. So we'll see. Most of Wall Street, and, and we've talked about this, has not been so concerned about inflation. They have, don't seem to really be, uh, I shouldn't be concerned. Much of Wall Street seems quite in favor of the Biden uh, plans of, of, of spending at those levels. And when you look at articles, of, uh, warning of inflation, it, it's pretty limited how much they're warning about. The, I saw ING had some uh, letter to their investors where they said, well, there might be enough inflation to cause interest rates to go up a little bit by the Fed, but it's pretty modest stuff, really. Um, what's, what's driving the Republicans here? Is it, I, it's hard to believe they're really afraid of inflation. Is it just because they, they got to do something to fight the Democrats? Uh, I think so. I, you know, the... First of all, you know, the issues around inflation are almost, you know, I mean, totally misunderstood. I mean, as again, let me just emphasize, uh, a positive inflation rate is not a bad thing, uh, unless you tell me why it's a bad thing. Uh, a positive inflation rate that reflects rising wages for workers is good, rising well, 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 I guess the question is, is, is a positive inflation rate may be good for workers if it shows higher wages, but maybe it's not so good for investors. So it kind of depends on what you're reading. Well, 
if you yeah, if you're talking about yeah the, uh, a, a, an inflation a relatively modest say two three four percent inflation rate um, if it is reflecting a t very tight labor markets and rising wages that's good now it is true that the bonds uh, in an inflationary environment if you have a fixed interest rate and let's say the interest rate is fixed at two percent and then you have a four percent inflation rate well the bond holder is going to be losing two percent so yeah that's bad for them uh, and so that you will see uh, bond you know, the uh, the interest rates on bonds will go up but you know we can't really expect the world to stay in a and uh, you know, interest rates at zero percent, one percent forever. I mean, this has never happened before in history. So, yeah, interest rates probably will go up uh, modestly. Are you they know, also? Are the investors also uh, concerned? I mean, right now, if you're really rich, you can borrow at rates that uh, normal people can't even imagine. Uh, you know, one percent or even less. Take that money and go buy into the stock market. And people, they're making a killing. Uh, the, and uh, but a little bit of rise of interest rates rates may drop the stock market prices. Also, not so bad. I mean, look what what we've experienced. Also, keep in mind uh, over the last year, we had this. This was historically unprecedented. You had this severe depression. Uh, you know, in terms of severity, and although not in terms of length. It was worse than the 1930s Great Depression, the, the drop in employment uh, and ac overall economic activity. Half the people in the U.S. labor market filed for uninsurance, uh, unemployment claims over the last year. 50%, 50% of the labor market applied for unemployment insurance at some point over the last year. I mean, astounding. At the same time, the U.S. you know stock prices went up by 50%. And that's true all over the world. Overall, stock prices all over the world went up by 50, 60 percent. Unprecedented that you have a depression, but you have stock prices going up. Well, that, you know, that can't continue and we don't want it to continue. And yes, you're exactly right as to why. Why did it happen? Uh, well, because, yes, the, the central banks, the Fed and the European Central Bank kept the, their policy rates at near zero. On top of that, they injected, you know, massive amounts of money into the financial markets. So what happened over the last year in the United States? The Fed injected four trillion dollars into propping up Wall Street. It's 20 percent of GDP giving giving yeah, money. They're, they're not worried about that being inflationary. Yeah, really. So, uh, you know, the rules of the game are, yes, they, they need to change. Uh, you, I mean, that you should have this situation where half of the people in the United States are facing unemployment over the course of the year, where wages haven't gone up for 40 years, but the stock market is you know, rising at an unprecedented rate. Well, yeah, uh, I think we need to change that. Uh, and so, uh, yes, uh, there will be some adjustment. And the stock market, you know, the stock market should, in principle, if you read, you know, the old fashioned textbooks, Stock market should generally reflect conditions in the real economy, but there's been an almost complete decoupling. So let's argue the argument from the other way. Uh, one, that yes, there's no real threat 
about inflation because, and even if there is some, as you say, it's not it's not a bad thing if it reflects higher wages. Uh, but two, that this Biden plan isn't nearly big enough, uh, not not in terms of economic stimulus and particularly not in terms of dealing with the climate problem. Well, the, the, so there's three, and it gets confusing. Uh, there's three Biden proposals. There's the, quote, rescue plan that's already passed. That's big. That was almost $2 trillion uh, to be spent over this year. And that's been the thing that's propping up the economy. Then there is the um, jobs plan, which is the Green New Deal or whatever version of it he's got, and the family plan. And let's put those two together. So roughly speaking, those two are at about $4 trillion, but they're, you know, over the course of eight years, nine years. So um, they're at, you know, one, one and a half percent of GDP. So these are not, th these are significant positive steps, but they are not massive spending programs. Um, Moreover, Biden is, is offering, uh, you know, uh, to raise taxes to pay for them. So whatever increased spending is going to result through these programs is going to be matched by contraction of spending through taxes going up for corporations. So these are not in any way, you know, massive scale type interventions that are going to uh, lead to excess spending in the economy that is going to be inflationary. But are they actually too small? Like if you discount the, the right wing argument from the left is coming the argument that they're not ambitious enough. They're not. Well, let's let's focus on the uh, the, the green new the, the part on climate. And I've, I've been in some pretty interesting discussions with various groups uh, about this. Uh, the Biden proposal at, by design isn't even targeted at hitting its own emission reduction goals. So the Biden, Biden himself has said we want to uh, get to a 50% reduction in emissions by 2030. Um, in principle, you would therefore plan your uh, clean energy and overall uh, climate investment program to hit the target. But it doesn't hit the target. It doesn't come close to hitting the target. The only conceivable way that you could hit the target with the spending levels that is in the Biden plan is if you get a massive uh, additional spending from the private sector. The only way you get massive additional spending from the private sector is if you establish strong regulations, like you said, to utilities, you must cut uh, your emissions by 5% per year compounded every year for 10 years or else, you know, you pay a hundred million dollar fine or you go to jail or something like that. Well, then that, you know, then you'll get the mobilization of private funds. Um, you know, they haven't done that and they're not likely. All right. Let me just put, let me just rephrase what you just said to make sure everybody gets this. Regulations that would force big utilities and I assume auto manufacturers and other sectors that are involved in a lot of use of carbon fossil fuels through the regulation, they must transition to clean energy. Thus, it makes it more profitable to invest in clean energy because you're going to have forced purchasers here. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, if you don't do that, uh, look, if we just talk about Biden's proposal, and again, 
it's fluid as to where it is. It, we're roughly talking about maybe, maybe $100 billion a year in public money. That is not nothing. I don't want to dismiss it altogether, but it isn't close to what's needed in order to hit the Biden's own emission reduction target. So the only way that you can get from, say, 100 billion to 500 billion, which would be a rough, I think, a rough amount that you would need in order to hit the target, is to get the other 400 billion from the private sector. And you could, but the private sector has to be motivated to put that level of spending into clean energy. And right now, you know, the oil companies are coming back. Uh, I just saw in uh, Japan and Australia, they, they, they also have you know, beautiful plans to get to zero emissions, but they, they just objected to the International Energy Agency's program that says no more investment in fossil. We can't invest in fossil fuels if we're going to hit the emission reduction target. They said, well, no, no, no. We want to keep investing in fossil fuels. So if you shift the private investing to clean energy as opposed to fossil fuels, yeah, the money is there. Uh, you just have to motivate the private investors to get there. You have to make it the law that you must, you can, you can invest in energy. You can make profits, but you have to do it by investing in clean energy. And to quote Bernie Sanders, then you have to take on the fossil fuel industry because they, they're not very interested in that, your plan. No, they're not. Uh, and yeah, I have a, a doctoral student writing his dissertation on why they're not. And you could, you could ask the question, well, why can't they just shift into clean energy, you know, instead of the fossil fuel industry themselves in, invest in clean energy? Well, the reason is that, you know, they have near monopoly power in the fossil fuel industry that they wouldn't have in clean energy. So they want to keep uh, they like fossil fuels and they have they have a lot invested in it. And, yeah, we have to take them on. And, beat them. and I think I think the fossil fuel industry is planning to do that in about 25 years, which is which is way too long a wait. Well, they uh, they have nice commercials and all that. And yes, they are investing in clean energy, but to a very, very modest extent, they extent they may be spending more on the TV commercials showing that they're doing it than they're actually investing. So that's that's where we are. But. You know, the Biden the Biden program is a positive step forward. It's just not big enough. And and in the time frame we have not to hit. I mean, I'm not sure when you're saying target Biden wants to hit. Has he does is he at least on paper on board with the not hitting more than one point five by 2030? Or is this the don't hit two by 2050? It's the it's the don't hit. uh it's it's one point. It's net zero emissions by 2050, uh, and uh, 50 percent cut by 2030, which is consistent with the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change saying that's what what we need to do in order to be at 1.5 degrees Celsius above pre-industrial levels and to stabilize at 1.5. Well, and we've talked about this before, but let's we, we should revisit it because it, it gets repeated so often that I think it needs clarification. Net zero doesn't really mean, necessarily mean zero. Net zero can be a lot of smoke and mirrors. It can be tricky. And yes, yeah, so that's another big issue, a concern I have with the Biden plan, but more generally, 
is that uh, what 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 are the uh, what's the path through which we get to zero? And if we're talking about a lot of carbon capture uh, technology, um, which is yes, that is central to the Biden plan, um, we're still going to keep uh, digging up uh, oil and coal and natural gas, still burn it, but presumably. Uh, in 10 or 20 years, we have this technology that knows how to capture it, store it underground, or convert it into a liquid fuel again. Uh, that's uh, very problematic. Just at the level of technology, the technologies don't exist. And then on top of that, um, yeah, if we have the carbon capture, that means you can still emit uh, the CO2, but we're going to assume that a lot of it is going to get captured and stored underground. So uh, the, the, the positive way to capture carbon, the way that's proven is planting trees, uh, reforestation and, and organic agriculture to supplant industrial agriculture so that we don't use nitrogen fertilizer and that the, uh, the uh, land is able to absorb CO2. Um, so we don't have to get to absolute zero, 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 zero because of these natural sources of CO2 absorption, but we should get pretty damn close to absolute zero, not uh, net zero. And just finally, uh, you know, Biden's plan looks so good compared to Trump's, which was, a, which was not a plan. Uh, but if it's not enough, then it doesn't matter if it looks good next to Trump. And, and one of the, things that I know people are concerned about, and rightly so, uh, you know, 75 million votes for Trump. And a lot of those votes came from states that have uh, high fossil fuel and big fossil fuel industries and, and resources. Um, and we've talked about this before, but again, I you think we got to keep repeating it. I still am mystified why in all this trillion dollars of spending, there isn't a clear cut promise from the Biden administration to fossil fuel workers in all of these states that you won't lose your level of wages. You know, you'll transition and we'll make sure you get paid whatever you were getting paid in uh, working at your fossil fuel job. Uh, I still haven't heard that, have you? And, and, and I don't get it. It's in there, at least at the level of rhetoric, it's in there. Um, no, it hasn't been laid out. I've, I've laid these out for various states, including most recently West Virginia. And yeah, that's the plan. That's why we think we have you know, at least can have a conversation with Senator Manchin because we lay out, we say, okay, this is how many fossil fuel workers you have in the state. If we have a 20 year transition, you're gonna have about, you know, a thousand per year uh, that are uh, gonna be displaced and another thousand per year that actually are gonna move into voluntary retirement. So for those thousand per year that are going to be displaced, yeah, you have to guarantee them a job. You have to guarantee their pension. You have to guarantee their wages at being the same. You have to guarantee as needed that they're going to have the retraining that they need. And if they have to move, which we don't want them to have to move, but if they do, you have to pay for their uh, relocation. And then when you do all that, it's actually minuscule. The, the budget effects are minuscule because, I mean, if we think about coal, there's only 60,000 people in the entire country employed in the coal industry. That's less, you know, less than half of, half of filling up a, a big football stadium. You could give every single one a, a million dollars 
and it still wouldn't make a dent uh, in the federal budget. So yes, a generous transition is central to any viable program. And you know, I I think in West Virginia, maybe not myself, but the organizers that I've been in touch with are getting through, and that's why they're actually having the uh, AFL-CIO leadership in West Virginia, Ohio, and Pennsylvania are endorsing uh, the programs that I worked on myself and the organizers have really been fighting for. So that those are positive developments. You know, Pennsylvania also has a lot of fracking workers and to get the unions behind it is a major step forward. I, I don't get why this isn't front and center of Biden's, even as his election campaign, I don't get it. But with 22... 2022 coming up, how can this not be like at the point of the spear that this is what they're going to do? It should be. That's, I mean, I'm trying. I know these, the various groups I'm working with, we have a study coming out for California in a couple of weeks um, that is getting supported by unions. And, you know, in a way, California, I think, really plays a central role because obviously it's, it's such a big economy and they have committed you know, Jerry Brown before him and now Newsom have committed to the IPCC targets. In fact, even more aggressive uh, uh, climate emission targets. They also have fairly significant fossil fuel activity, especially in one county, Kern County. Um, and so they are going to have to implement a, a just transition program. And I think once California does it, maybe it'll be have a really positive demonstration effect for the Democrats overall. I mean, the only answer I can give to my own question is that Biden just doesn't want to have that level of war with the fossil fuel industry between, you know, relying on carbon capture, which allows fossil fuel to carry on, as you say. Uh, and, and if you start this kind of talking the way you're talking about a real just transition, that means you're getting serious about regulating fossil fuels out uh, it puts them at war with the fossil fuel industry. And like Sanders said, he does, they don't want to do that. Uh, they're going to have to. I mean, if we are going to really do something about uh, not destroying life on Earth as we know it, we have to. Fossil fuels can't be part of the equation. I mean, certainly, again, if, if, we, if we think carbon capture is a beautiful technology, uh, that, well, then let's say maybe it's going to work in 20 or 30 years. We don't have 30 years. Uh, we certainly don't have, you know, if we're talking about hitting a mission, 50% emission reduction in nine years, 2030, we don't, you know, why don't we use the technologies that we know work? We know solar works. We know wind works. We know efficiency works. So let's focus on those things and create a lot of jobs. And yes, uh, transition to working, uh, the people committed and the communities that are dependent on the fossil fuel industry, let's transition them. And it's really inexpensive. I mean, I, I've done it for the whole country. My estimate for the whole country was an average of $2 billion a year to give everyone this uh, generous transition. $2 billion a year, that's less than- $2 billion. That's not even lunch. That's not lunch money for the federal budget. No, no, no. no I, you know, these are, these are generous. These are generous transition funds. All right. Thanks very much, Bob. Okay. Thank you. And thank you for joining us on the analysis.news. Don't forget the donate button, subscribe button, sign up on the email list button, all the buttons.